Hello and welcome to the Skewer Podcast. This is a special mini episode of the Skewer recorded at the Hopleaf at Lit Crawl 2018, a celebration of Chicago's live lit scene that we were lucky enough to be a part of. Ooh, I hope you enjoy this mini show. Hello, welcome to the Skewer. We're the Skewer. Yay! Yay! This is delightful. I will be one of your hosts for the evening, Tom Harrison. Who is this other person, your other co-host? It's me, Erica Dreisbach. Very wise crowd to applaud for Erica, not me. You really got the center of everything. Uh, So, Erica, i got to ask, what's the skewer? That's a great question. The answer is, it is a live monthly news review featuring hot-as-hell op-eds and a rock'em, suck'em comedic debate, as well as a fake news quiz on the actual show, which you should absolutely come to. <laughs> Erica, prior to the show, we said that you were going to tell this joke, but the, the patter has put it to me. <laughs> Op-eds? Are they those terrible things you read in the New York Times? <laughs> yes, but not at the skewer. At the skewer, op-eds are comedic, hilarious, moving, intense, beautiful pieces that are going to make you think, they're going to make your belly laugh, they might even make you shed a tear. They never say that both sides are just as bad, one side's way worse. (laughs) Erica, gosh, should we have any further ado? No, sir. Then introduce our first reader. Hillary Clinton 
is a politician, but she's not a threat. She's not Donald Trump. The comic is painfully sincere. It speaks to the pain of naively wanting something and not getting it. One day, a random furry on Tumblr took the comic and replaced Sanders' dialogue with a three-word phrase, Kung Pao Penis. <laughs> Why did they do such a thing? What was their ideology, their intent? History will never know. But we do know that Kung Pao Penis became a means of reacting to political knowledge we otherwise don't know how to cope with. Fast forward to August 2018. Conservative firebrand and frog homosexuality conspiracy theorist Alex Jones is kicked off of YouTube and Twitter and Facebook for terms of service violations. This is a man who has sold rancor and terror without consequence for years. He is unaccustomed to following rules, so he regroups and runs to a platform known for tolerating mayhem, Tumblr. <laughs> Tumblr is a place where people who want to be erotically swallowed by Ka from the Jungle Book <laughs> rub reluctant shoulders with white supremacists and pedophilia apologists. Virtually no one has ever had their Tumblr deleted. Alex Jones was certain that he could build himself a new home there. What he didn't count on was the power of Kung Pao Penis. As soon as Alex Jones created a Tumblr, left-wing users started flocking to his, sharing his posts but adding the phrase Kung Pao Penis to the end of the reblog chain. Alex Jones immediately got upset and annoyed. Because when you get a notification on Tumblr, it covers up a significant strip of the website because it's a fucking broken website. <laughs> and so if you get enough notifications, it actually becomes impossible to use. I know this because I had a cereal meet that was very contentious. <laughs> so it became impossible for Alex Jones to scroll or to look at transphobic porn, which is his number one Tumblr activity. <laughs> Soon users began trolling him by reblogging anything he posted and just adding the letter. Hey. Another user would then reblog that and add the letter U. <laughs> and so on, until Kung Pao Penis was slowly spelled out in full. This meant that suddenly a single instance of Kung Pao Penis resulted in Jones getting 12 notifications and a huge spaced out Kung Pao Penis on his Tumblr dashboard. Alex Jones deleted his Tumblr within two days. <laughs> but there was another far grander incident this past month that truly sends home the power of the internet to unseat reactionary royalty and deliver chaotic comeuppance. I am talking, of course, about the fall of Elon Musk. <laughs> Libertarian meme, lo meme lords have always adored Musk. Reddit and Twitter have been his playgrounds for years, until very recently when his social media uh, irresponsibility transformed him into God's fool. And we have one person to thank for that, Azealia Problematic Banks. I want to keep this story as brief and as lurid as possible. For the past few months, Tesla magnate Elon Musk has been dating the electronic musician and bog witch Grimes. <laughs> now, I am someone who both vapes and cuts their own hair very badly, so I love Grimes. <laughs> and I was heartbroken to see her love an elitist man baby and major Republican campaign donor. He convinced her to wear a fucking Tesla logo as a choker. 
I was aghast. My belief in art and hope for humanity was shattered. <laughs> but then, Grimes made the mistake of inviting rapper and rogue tweeter Azalea Banks to Elon Musk's mansion. Grimes invited Banks there for the two of them to collaborate on a single. Banks agreed to come visit Musk's mansion and work with Grimes, though she later revealed that she only said yes because she wanted to meet Elon Musk and ask him for help and investment in her side business selling ass bleaching soap. <laughs> and the soap is called Bussy Boy. Now, for some of you, I will have to explain, a bussy is a butt that gets fucked like a pussy. <laughs> and the soap apparently smells like plums because Azealia has a song lyric where she talks about her labia looking like a plum and somebody licking it. It's from like a 2012. Yeah, so Azealia sells this rectal bleaching bussy soap as merch at her concerts instead of like shirts and things like that. <laughs> and none of this is especially important. What's important is that Banks showed up at Musk's mansion on August 10th and no one greets her or interacts with her for two or three full days. <laughs> Banks waits up, ends up waiting all weekend at Musk's mansion. She has to help herself to food from the fridge and stumble around trying to find a place to sleep. She stumbles into a drug-addled Musk who Grimes has given acid to. Grimes eventually shows up and tries to manage Musk's drug-induced stupor, but fails, and Elon Musk starts tweeting about wanting to make Tesla-branded thigh-high socks with pockets in them for, quote, lip liner and credit cards. As if anybody just carries lip liner by itself, whatever. Then, at some point, either Musk or Grimes approaches Azealia Banks and propositions her for a threesome, and Banks leaves. We know about all of this because Banks was up updating her Instagram story with a live play-by-play -play the entire time. Oh. Tesla stock began to immediately plummet as a result. In the intervening days, Banks shares private messages that Grimes has sent her uh, to try and like clear things up. But in those messages, Grimes suggests that the two women get into a pregnancy pact together. Oh. <laughs> uh, she says that her boyfriend, Elon Musk's South African accent, is fake and made up and he doesn't know where it came from. And then attempts to again entice Banks into a threesome by mentioning that Musk's dick is huge. Azealia Banks responds by telling Grimes to get sober before getting pregnant and implies that if anybody's dick looks huge if you weigh 110 pounds. In the wake of this fracas, journalists began speculating about Musk's competence to run his company. Tesla shares continued to fall, and the SEC began investigating Musk for fraud because Grimes revealed that he set Tesla's stock's stock value at $420 as a wee joke. <laughs> she told that to Azalea Banks, who told the entire universe. Shortly thereafter, Musk unfollowed Grimes on Twitter and Instagram, and the two unceremoniously broke up. Azealia Banks, meanwhile, gained thousands of new Instagram followers, wrote a letter of apology to Musk, revoked the apology, and then announced a Tesla fan fiction competition on her anal bleaching soap website. Her fans are invited to write a fictional account of the events that she endured in whatever format they prefer, be it a screenplay, short story, or comic, and submit it again to her website for a chance to win a $1,000 cash prize. She continues to sell out of Bussy Boy soap at all of her concerts. Good, good for her. 
<laughs> now, at first blush, it may seem like this frenzied confluence of tweets, threesome propositions, weed references, and rectal soaps has nothing to do with Alex Jones or Kung Pao Penis. But both the online ousting of Alex Jones and Elon Musk reveal how the internet tides are turning. They presage a way out of the hellscape that we are living in. In 2016, reactionary trolls stole left-wing memes such as Pepe the Frog and warped them into conservative icons of propaganda. Random, irreverent internet humor and unruliness were weaponized against lefty earnestness to great effect. Being a shitbag became the height of cool, and the biggest shitbag of all time became our president. But we've come a long way since then. We've transformed from dejected, forlorn progressives crying over Bernie Sanders into nonsense-loving anarcho-communists. <laughs> We've gone from mourning to reveling in our enemy's suffering. We have become the irreverent, provoking, kung pao penisers of the world, and it is the conservatives who have become the eager to please, flusterable, earnest ones. For too long, the unruliness of the internet was leveraged by people like Alex Jones and Elon Musk, selfish white men who could peddle hate or corporate overreach with a self-satisfied sneer. Now they are trapped in the deluge of their own bullshit, and they are losing control, and their fear of loss is not a good look. It's weak, flinching, and self-defeating, and they cannot meet their way out of that. We have all lost a catastrophic number of things in this election cycle. But unlike them, we have not lost our sense of humor. So even as we prepare for midterms, we do not need words of heartfelt motivation. We need only the incantation that has gotten us through this far. Come. Yeah. Yeah. Suck on that, New York Times. Our next op-ed is from Archie Jamjoon, who is a writer and storyteller from Lincolnwood. He's a member of the writing group Drinkers with Writing Problems curator of outspoken GBTLQ stories and co-producer of Talk Stories, an Asian-American storytelling show. He is also a two-time Moth Grand Slam winner. Yeah. Applaud for that. <laughs> Server, uncle, and proud father of an undisciplined and coddled cat, please welcome Archie to the stage. I can't wait to buy soap after this. <laughs> the cabin of our plane began filling with smoke. I was about eight years old and my sister was ten. My dad had flown out to Thailand a few days earlier and we, with our mom, were on our way to meet him. My mom began to scream, Okay kids, if you have to jump, just jump! Don't grab anything! <laughs> My first time on an airplane, and we were going to die. <laughs> In flames, crashing to the earth. I thought about my cat, how he'd be stuck at the vets, and began to cry. Achi, don't cry. You have to be ready to fight for your life. A few minutes later, a voice came over the PA system. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to apologize for the smoke in the cabin. We accidentally burned your dinners. <laughs> the smoke should clear up soon. There is no cause for alarm. Please enjoy the flight. My mother, who was already out of her seat and eyeing the emergency exit, sat back down and ordered a Miller Lite. <laughs> Once in Thailand, my sister and I were surprised to find out we were royalty. 
American royalty. Born and raised in the U.S., the beacon of the world at the time, our cousins begged us for American jeans, American candy, even Casio watches made in Japan but purchased in America. In my dad's hometown, we had the hookup. My aunt was the beloved principal of the only high school, and my uncle was the chief of police. This meant that like third-rate Malia and Sasha Obamas, my sister and I got to wave at masses of screaming children and got police escorts everywhere, even if it was just to the bathroom. My mother's side lived in what seemed to me a mansion on a mango farm, which made the luxury of it exotic, yet authentic. My family went to Thailand almost every summer during my childhood. We went to the ocean, ate six times a day, got massages, and went on shopping sprees because Thailand when you are a tourist, is an oceanfront spa with a buffet and a dollar store. <laughs> but no matter how, my, how much my life there was akin to a little emperor's, after two weeks I'd whine, I want to go home. I have never really understood that. And it happens even when I travel to Thailand today. Why am I so happy to be back in Chicago where real life keeps my lazy ass in servitude? In undergrad, I studied English Lit. In those classes, in those classes, I'd read about the lives of nobility who pursued their passions while living fabulously off their family's money. No one had to have a job, but they had goals. They went to parties and acted scandalously, but they published. I wanted that life, and sometimes I still want that life. I want to be a ladyboy Paris Hilton who just happens to be a great writer. <laughs> in Thailand, on that mango farm, escorted by sexy police, it feels like I could, could live a life closer to that. So why do I always long to come back? One reason is I can express myself. Literally, I can speak English. <laughs> I, often, I often lie to people and tell them I can speak Thai because I want people to think I'm global and smart. <laughs> it's not a complete lie, but my Thai is limited. I can understand Thai as well as a 10-year-old, and I can speak Thai as well as a 6-year-old. <laughs> a 6-year-old who will go completely mute if anyone else is willing to speak. <laughs> Self-expression is easy to take for granted until you find yourself at a 7-Eleven in Bangkok trying to explain to the clerk what kind of SIM card you need for your phone, but you end up walking out with a bag of seaweed-flavored potato chips and coconut rolls because you've given up and you just need to console yourself with carbs. <laughs> When Donald Trump was elected president, I began to gather the proper paperwork to move to Thailand. I made sure my dual citizenship was up to date, and I got my partner, Jeremy, a passport so he could marry my 63-year-old aunt and become a citizen. <laughs> they both love spicy, soup, spicy food, so why not? <laughs> sure, it's a backup plan, but when I told my parents about this, they surprisingly weren't as ready to escape the U.S. as I was. We escaped Thailand for the freedom in the U.S., my dad said. I'm an American woman, my mom added. My parents went on to explain the political situation in Thailand. The monarchy controls everything. Even though Thailand has had democratic elections, every time the elected leader disobeys the monarchy, they are removed from power through a military coup. Thailand has had 19 military coups in the last 100 years, which means nearly every elected prime minister has been forcibly removed. Until 2016, the monarchy was headed by a highly respected king, so even though there was turmoil, the people in general trusted that king. 
Last year, last year, however, or a couple years, however, he passed away and his son took over. There was hope his daughter, who is highly respected and much more qualified, would take over. But of course, tradition mandated that this severely unfit man take power instead of this incredibly intelligent and results-driven woman. I don't know why that sounds familiar. Even if you're a Republican, I don't know why you're here, and especially, <laughs> especially if you're conservative, you've got to admit that President Spraytan challenges the fundaments of our Constitution. But when it comes to corruption, Trump is still Tabasco to the new king of Thailand, Sriracha. <laughs> My parents told me the new king is said to, throw, to have thrown his adversaries off buildings, exiled his own children from the country, and jailed the parents of his second wife. Upon research, I learned that he is a 50-year-old man who dresses in booty shorts and crop tops while twerking. His dog, Fufu, was named an officer in the Royal Thai Air Force and given a military funeral. He is complex in the worst possible sense. <laughs> oh my god, I re responded to my parents' news. I'm going to write a whole series about this. Millions of people each year visit Thailand, if, and if they knew what the government was really like, we could start a boycott. You cannot do that, my mom said. You will go to jail. You cannot speak badly about the royal family. So I'll never go to Thailand again. Is that what you really want, my dad asked? To never see the rest of your family again? And also, they might go after our relatives. When he said that, I recalled being about 11 years old and sitting in my aunt's beauty salon. An image of the princess of Thailand came on TV. Now, royal families are often inbred to keep power within the family, and inbreeding can lead to interesting facial features. <laughs> wow, I said, the princess can look in two directions at the same time. <laughs> Everyone in the salon went quiet. My aunt knocked me on the head with the side of a newspaper, and one of the beauticians told me I was lucky there was no police around. Article 112 of Thailand's criminal code states that anyone who defames, insults, or threatens the royal family can be jailed for three to 15 years for each offense, which can include things like liking a post on Facebook. When you are arrested for a talking about the royal family, you can be denied bail, and your rights as a citizen are strict. Arrests against Thai citizens have doubled since the new king took over. Imagine if every time someone said something negative about Trump, they faced arrest. I would already be somebody's bitch. <laughs> I now completely understand why I feel like kissing the ground each time I land back in Chicago. Freedom can be a vague and generic term. Remember George Bush's freedom fries from the Iraq war? <laughs> but freedom can also be specific. I wouldn't be allowed to tell this story if I were in Thailand. Our First Amendment was created so we, the people, would always be free to criticize our government. But a lot of people seem to think that it simply means they can say horrible things. A lot of people think it, mean, thinks it means they're free to yell out the N-word, ask people like me if we are citizens, and relive the worst of American history. Well, trust me, you are free to be an asshole in almost every country in the fucking world. You can scream you're fat in Bangladesh, tell a Japanese woman she's a slut. Next time you're in Japan, uh, Jamaica, feel free to tell a gay person he's a bat boy. There are assholes everywhere, and the First Amendment isn't about the freedom to be an asshole to your fellow citizens. 
It's about speaking truth to power. It allows us to tell those who control our lives what exactly our lives are like, and more importantly, what we would like them to be. As someone who wore a pantsuit on election night and could not get out of bed for days after, I want to say we collectively fucked up. The fact that a monster who attacks free speech and cages children is in the White House isn't his fault. It's kind of a, a Comey Putin love child, but mostly it's our fault. Because in 2016, only half of eligible voters voted. Free speech is covered in one amendment, but the right to vote took four amendments. In 1869, the 15th gave, it to the right, gave the right to men of color. In 1919, the 19th gave the right to women. The 24th gave it to the poor in 1964. And it wasn't until 1971 that the 16th Amendment gave it to those 18 years of age. To give you some context, 1971 was the same year Selena, Tupac Shakur, and Snoop Dogg were born. But maybe gave is the wrong word. Our rights were not given to us. Someone spoke out for them. Someone fought for them. Because as my mother said, you have to fight for your life. Thank you very much. time for our op-ed writers, Erica Price and Archie Denver. Before we move on, I have a few things I want to hit very quickly. One, we pay our writers in donations. Erica, are you wearing a hat? I sure am. Well, we're going to pass that hat around for donations. Any money that you, you decide to give will go directly to the people who've written art for you today. Wow, incredible. Uh, so that's something. Fantastic. Yeah. It's going to go around and it should get back to me. Yeah. <laughs> also, if you like what you've been seeing, The Skewer is a monthly show the first Wednesday of every month at Cafe Mustache. Our next show is on Wednesday, October 3rd, again at Cafe Mustache. You should really go to it. We're great. <laughs> Also, Erica's got a bunch of merch, including a skewer book, including the best writing in the skewer in 2017. Anyway, to close the show, we're going to have a skewer debate where two writers come up on stage and are debating a topic that I gave them in advance, a topic that is, spoiler, very stupid. And you're going to determine who is the victor. Now, let me introduce our debater to the stage. Our first debater, when he is not seeking harmony in the universe through words, is creating it on stage. He is a Jeff-nominated actor with a passion for music, photography, film, fashion, friendship, David Bowie, and apple pie a la mode. He's an artistic astronaut with an amazingly apt application of alliteration in his arsenal. <laughs> he believes words are the truest power we wield on this swiftly tilting planet. Please welcome to the stage, Ian Rick. <laughs> And debater has a music cue, so I gotta get my phone out. <laughs> she is a musician and comedian who performs as her vintage style alter ego, Plucky Rosenthal, teaches at the Old Town School of Folk Music and MC's Claw, the Chicago League, League of Lady Arm Wrestlers. Please welcome Elisa Rosenthal. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Nothing. <laughs> 
Anyway. Yes. <laughs> All right, so what's the debate? Well, here it is. It was announced in September that actor Henry Cavill was officially out as the dour, unpleasant version of Superman who has spent the better part of the last decade scowling over the cinema. <laughs> this role is one that has seen a lot of ridiculous decisions and incompetent mismanagement, from Richard Pryor cameos, Superman fighting a nuclear clone of Gene Hackman on the moon, <laughs> to nearly being played by stringy-haired Nicolas Cage. But now, we have a clean slate. The role can be recast. The continuity rebooted. Anything's possible. The question then becomes, who should be the next Superman? Ian, who will you be arguing for to be the next Superman? Well, I believe the topic you gave me was, fuck it, let's have Nicolas Cage. Elisa, <laughs> who will you be arguing for? All five of the cast members of the re reboot of Queer Eye at random. <laughs> so how's this going to work? Both of our debaters are going to give five minutes of opening statements. I'm going to come back and ask them questions that they have not seen in advance. They'll have to answer the questions. The questions are stupid. They will then have one minute of closing statements, at which point you will vote by applause to see who is the victor. Who would like to go first? I'll go! Elisa, you're going first! Let's do it! My sound cue was flawless, so thank you. Alright. Okay, if you don't have like an encyclopedic knowledge of Queer Eye, just buckle up. But here we go. Alright, good early drinking time, kind-hearted patrons of the Hop Leaf. It's 6 p.m. somewhere, and that somewhere is here. Okay, now... There is a telling Venn diagram that exists in my thoughts. One circle is Superman, just like in general. And the other one is actors who, due to their inherent genetic makeup, are in fact supermen. <laughs> Which leads me to the little sliver of overlap that is Henry Cavill? I thought it was Cavill. Cavill. I'm gonna say Cavill, it sounds fancy. Henry Cavill not being invited back to the Superman franchise is like not inviting your weird cousin who moved to town a couple of years ago who your parents insist you should invite out all the time and like your cousin is nice and all and people like her but what does she really contribute to the conversation at ironic olive garden friend dinner okay kathleen all right i've never really minded henry cable i actually dusted off my old 2013 era tumblr i'm glad tumblr is getting so much love tonight just to find the review I wrote of Man of Steel Ooh, in 2013. Wow. Do you have any idea how many passwords I had to go through <laughs> to retrieve it? And I actually had very fond recollections of young Henry's performance. Um, the writing of the film, on the other hand, well, I'll just let my five-year-old writing speak for me. In my review, there were such goodies as, it's the minimum of Mount... It's the minimum amount of exposition for the maximum amount of battle sequences. Um, and to say that the parallels from Superman to Jesus are overt would be an understatement. <laughs> and then also, I hated this movie so much. I know a lot of people hated it so much. So here's 500 words on why I hated it so much. And what better way to re-energize a franchise that, much like most of the deal with Superman himself, cannot die. 
<laughs> than to call on the help of five reality TV personalities slash social media influencers. Yes, you're thinking of the correct five such supermen. It could only be the entire cast of the rebooted Queer Eye, without a doubt, should play the next Superman. <laughs> I envision this as like when different parts of your personality pop up, a cartoon angel versus devil scenario, but it's which cast member of Queer Eye is the most attuned for the given situation. <laughs> is Lois not quite buying the Clark Kent look anymore? Are all the glasses options a few, season out of, few seasons out of style? Enter style guru and Liverpoolian pattern elf, Tan France. <laughs> yes! I dress like him tonight, just for you guys. <laughs> he needs more confidence to speak up to General Zod, call upon culture expert and satin bomber jacket personified Karamo Brown. Is Metropolis looking a little drab after all those bad guys got thrown through buildings? This calls for someone who excels at white accent furniture. Get interior designer Bobby Burke on the line. Stat! No time for Superman to eat in his busy day. Kapow! He is now food expert Antony Porowski, making a salad that is only avocado slices. <laughs> He's just really trying to cater to how we can cook in our busy days. Okay, need Superman to look more like a sexy Jesus with an old-timey mustache and have the confidence of a man who can wear a white Diane Keaton pantsuit to the Emmys? <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time I've said this, but where is Jonathan Van Ness? Yes. Audiences these days are smart. We are savvy. We enjoy fourth wall breaking comedy specials and seeing the inner workings of celebrities via Instagram. We can handle the protagonist of the most iconic protagonist driven story in the history of modern storytelling to switch seamlessly from person to person, from scene to scene. It won't be confusing, it will be a revelation. <laughs> Honestly, I feel bad for the editors of this movie because to make it, they're going to just have to film five different takes of the entire movie with each guy as Superman and then pick and choose who should be Superman when. I can already tell you I'm going to love the Karamo takes because he is Superman. He can really listen to you and tell you to get your shit together and you will hear it. And have you seen his abs? You wouldn't even need to airbrush them onto the costume. And he already wears capes. Also, have you ever seen Antony's Instagram? Speaking of abs. Okay, um, side note, brief tangent. Um, I have little to apologize for in my life, but I do apologize for how thirsty this opening statement is. <laughs> Tom, you knew what you were getting when you asked for this. Yeah. Okay. And Bobby Burke. Boobers could easily revamp a whole city with his eyes closed while being super humble about it. Just a little giggle under his pork pie hat. And Jonathan, Jonathan can look any bad guy deep in the eyes and tell him how beautiful and perfect he is, using the art of vulnerability to replace guns, which is what the world really needs. And Tan, Tanny, 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 can you even imagine a French tuck on a Superman costume? <laughs> Talk about revelatory. The cast of the Queer Eye as the next Superman. They can handle the style-challenged folks of gay Atlanta and Yaz Australia with the greatest of ease. Just think of what they could do for Metropolis. Thank you.
Russell. I said, it says, I should play the next Superman. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This is a job for. <laughs>
which explains why I've been divorced three times. <laughs> and my parents found me abandoned in a crashed spaceship in a Kansas cornfield. That explains a lot, huh? Huh? Right? I got super breath. That's why I'm so loud and off-putting. <laughs> See, no one's a bigger fan of Kal-El than me, you know? My unbridled passion can help save this emotionless, dour franchise. All right, and E... Though the whole project with Timmy B didn't work out, I still have extensive superhero experience, right? I was in Ghost Rider 1 and 2. I was in Kick-Ass. You like me there. And I consider my role in Bad Lieutenant, Porter Call, New Orleans, to be the anti-hero origin story of the Rainer Herzog expanded cinematic universe. <laughs> Wanna take a hit of my lucky crap pop? It's lucky. All right, finally, I'll, I'll just skip straight to S, okay? All right, we, we don't have all that time, and I think I saw someone tapping the security button really frantically to get me out of here. Uh, casting me is going to solve the biggest problem everyone complains about, about Superman, that he's not interesting. This <laughs> 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 false. <laughs> I mean, Superman done poorly, like like when he fights Kevin Spacey and his giant mound of kryptonite and hush money. That's boring. But when Superman is done well, he's superb. <laughs> Just think of his story, right? He's an alien, cast to Earth that becomes more human than any of us. Living embodiment of hope. He's not what America is, but what America should be. He's a god who could destroy us in the blink of an eye, but he struggles and suffers to save us. Have you ever been dragged down the sidewalk until you piss blood? <laughs> well, Superman hasn't been physically because of you know, the fact that he like, harnesses the, the solar energy from our yellow sun into unvulnerability, but he has been hurt emotionally more than we can imagine. I mean, you all saw Justice League. <laughs> you can hear every scream, every injustice, and he speeds to stop all that he physically can. And he despairs because for all his might, he can't save us all. And we think that's boring? Think of the stories that could be told from a vulnerable human hero. Think of returning Superman to the stuff of legend. And think of how I could face off uh, with John Travolta yes. in Lex You can all look forward to the film, because my portrayal will be inspired by that Five for Fighting song. You can all sleep sound tonight, because I'm not crazy or anything. <laughs> <laughs> opening statements all around. We're going to get to the question, ask, answer, uh, question and answer segment real quick because we don't have a lot of time. So get back on stage, both of you. I have the first question for Lisa, obviously. The Fab Five all have different styles. What works for one doesn't work for the other. It follows, then, that sticking with one standard Superman costume for all five of them would be a mistake. How would you personalize the classic costume for each actor? Got it. <laughs> Have you seen that Bustle article about the one bathing suit that fits all women's body types? It would just be that low-cut leotard. Why does it look good on all bodies? Done. <laughs> Asked and answered, Ian, or rather Nicholas Cage. <laughs> 
Superman is known in the popular consciousness to be one, conventionally handsome, two, muscular, and three, not incredibly upsetting to look at. <laughs> How will Nicolas Cage, that is to say you, overcome these huge handicaps? <laughs> well, first off, it's above Superman to beat the shit out of you for saying that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, but I think it's, it's heroism that truly shines out that makes us beautiful, is it not? Yeah. And think of what we could lean into. Like, you could cast all the other sort of eccentric, hammy actors, you know? Just imagine, like, Tommy Wiseau is Batman, you know? <laughs> I am the nice! I'm the Batman! <laughs> right? I mean, just picture it. Or we could get Daniel Day-Lewis out of retirement, and then we could have Batman for real, you know? Like, growing fat <laughs> One final question that I would like you both to answer. That whoever has the answer first, just approach the mic and do it. The question is, the biggest missed opportunity in Superman movies so far is never featuring Bizarro, the weird opposite <laughs> world version of Superman who says bad bye when someone leaves. <laughs> who would best embody the exact Bizarro version? of your Superman star? Well, I think I could just double cast myself. <laughs> can't be topped, it's untoppable. Uh, Elisa, you went first in the opening statements, so Ian will go first in the closing statements. What am I saying? Nicholas Cage will go first. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Nicholas fucking Cage. I'm faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, and my checks bounce over buildings in a single bound. Look, all that crazy shit I say about only eating animals that have dignified sex and justifying in interviews that I'm inspired by German expressionism or whatever, aside, I would like to get to the true heart of the, of the, of the hero, you know? The new Superman should be vulnerable and, and prone to all the doubts and fears of a mortal man. Because it's not like Batman where, where the mask is the identity and the playboy philanthropist is the real mask. No. See, with Superman... It's just Clark Kent up there in the sky, right? A man more human than any of us with the world thrust onto his shoulders. And honestly, don't you just want to see this shit? <laughs> <laughs> so I noticed, yeah, uh, that the security guards will, will be here soon and I, I don't actually have the super strength to fight them off, right? Uh, but that's okay, because I'm off to negotiations anyway for a movie called Space Ass 2, The Assening. <laughs> and I'm going to dumpster dive for breakfast on the way there. But in the immortal words of Three Doors Down, if I go crazy, then will you still call me Superman? <laughs> Casting.
casting and representation matters. Why just have a queer Superman when you can have five queer Supermans? <laughs> Audiences are eager for the next gimmick, especially if it will challenge our very notions of common storytelling conventions, like having just one actor play the leading role in a major franchise. <laughs> Each cast member of Queer Eye brings something unique, making the people of America and Metropolis alike want to be better and truly being better. And as you make your decision, audience, I leave you with the immortal words of JVN himself. You are strong, you're a Kelly Clarkson song, and you've got this! Thank you! All right, now is the moment of the truth. You've seen two great performances arguing to you very different ideas about who should play Superman, but only one of them can be the victor. But what are they fighting for? What's the prize? Bragging rights? No. It's this beautiful oh, skewer with a bobble on the end. Lovely. So the way we're going to do this is I'm going to uh, ask you to vote by applause. I will need an impartial judge to determine who gets the louder volume of applause. Would you like to be the impartial judge? You are directly in front okay. of me. Perfect. Thank you for saying yes and not elongating this process. <laughs> if you believe that the winner of this debate, arguing for the entire cast of Queer Eye, was Elisa Rosenthal, please applaud now. <laughs> If you believe that the victor of this debate was Ian, R no, Nicholas Cage arguing for himself, please applaud now. <laughs> Impartial judge, who is our victor in this debate? I'm gonna have to say Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage, the dream is realized. Anyway, that's been us, Beard the Skewer. We are, as we said before, the first Wednesday of every month at Cafe Mustache. Our next show is on Wednesday, October 3rd. Thank you all for coming. Please enjoy the rest of your late crawl. Thank you for being here. Uh, Hot Leaf Rules. Bye! Thank you for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you liked what you heard, you can come to a live show every first Wednesday of the month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago. You can also be on the show, if you want, by emailing us at skewerchicago at gmail.com. Uh, also, like the podcast. Uh, I don't know. Tell people about it. It's fun. Thank you for listening again, and goodbye!